0: having to be perfect all the time, because anything that you do shows up or stands out. So again, not being allowed to be average because average stands out. Not certainly not being allowed to be poor because that then brings a narrative of, well gosh, is that what every black person's going to be like? So real heavy pressures. I would say it's better now, still not perfect. I'm still pleasantly surprised when I arrive in certain rooms and see another not even a black man another black woman there something in me goes oh thank goodness um (laughs) i'm not the only i'm not the only one it's not all on me yeah yeah i can fidget just a little bit more in this meeting because they're not all going to be watching me Hello and welcome to Unsaid at Work. I'm your host, Catherine
1: Macy. I'm an executive and team coach and I'm interested in the conversations that we do not have at work. Today's topic is burnout, which the World Health Organization defines as an occupational phenomenon. And I think that's a really useful way of framing it and reminding ourselves that because I think there's often so much personal responsibility put on the person who is burned out rather than the context in which burns them out. Burnout is a result of that real chronic imbalance between what the job asks of you, like workload and poor working environment and shitty boss, and the resources that you're getting. So the degree of freedom or autonomy that you have, or, or the, the supportive of work relationships you, you have or don't have. So interesting data points from a McKinsey report over a year ago now that said a third of people in the UK and the US report burnout symptoms often or always third of people report burnout symptoms often or always. And this isn't despite or in spite of the fact that HR decision makers report that mental health is their top priority. So that in itself is a clear mismatch between the experience of employees, uh, a lot of people who I'm coaching, and what uh, leadership is saying they're trying to create. There's two angles to this conversation. One is the personal lens and the other one is how do organizations go about creating the conditions for burnout? This episode is going to be the first one. It's going to be the personal lens. Uh, And it's a very personal conversation with my guest Antoinette Daniel who takes us on a journey through her own experience of burnout not once, not twice, but three times. And just shedding the light on the challenges that she faced in her demanding career and the toll that it took on her mental health And she shares that one moment, her very first moment, where she realized quite clearly that she wasn't coping. And she shares her unraveling journey towards recognizing the signs of burnout and seeking support and the sort of tough decisions that she had to make to take care of herself. Let me tell you about my guest, Antoinette. She's a former PE teacher and now entrepreneur of multiple businesses and who's passionate about seeking justice in all areas of her life. She's the founder of an award-winning London cleaning agency called Just Helpers, and they're aiming to make the world a better place, one clean at a time. There's a strong sort of justice and ethics at the heart of everything that they do. She's currently in the process of radically transforming the cleaning industry to enable cleaning colleagues to be paid equitably, have fair working rights and conditions to be more rigorously monitored Laws to be changed to enable ethical agencies to operate more ably, and clients' homes and offices to be cleaned to a consistently high standard. This was such a rich conversation that I've put this over two episodes. This is part one of part two. Part two will be available next week. So let's go listen in to my conversation with Antoinette Daniel. So Antoinette Daniel, welcome to Unset at Work.
0: Hi, Catherine. I've been so excited for this one. (laughs) To talk about (laughs) burnout. (laughs) Less excited about that. Talking with you, though. (laughs) Uh, It's an interesting
1: topic. I've noticed a few people going off on holiday and hoping that uh, they come back feeling a bit less overwhelmed. We'll get into that. Mm. Let's talk about, we're going to share our experiences and particularly your experiences around burnout. When was the first time that you experienced burnout? What was going on?
0: I was an early adopter, uh, so I would say... (laughs) That's a great plan. <laughs> <laughs> probably around the age of 23, in my first serious teaching job, I'd been recruited to this really fabulous school. We had a culture of working six days contact time with kids. So we were a Saturday fixture school. I was a PE teacher. Wow. I'd driven into and I'm a high achiever right so I then signed up with the Royal Opera House to do a dance production shaped around my kids so that was a Sunday so seven days contact time with kids but in my first year I, I loved this job description so much I love this school and I still do to this day but they gave me the list this list of things if you can achieve a b and c or when you achieve a b and c There are about seven things on the list. You'll get an extra responsibility point. So obviously, I got my head down and within the first year, knocked them all out of the ballpark, promptly rocked up to my appraisal and said, (laughs) "Ta-da!" only to be told, no, not good enough. We're not giving it to you. But no real explanation, no real understanding Mm -hmm. of why and how and what I could do to make that better. And I just felt like I've given everything to crack this list out. And I think that was probably the final trigger. So tired. One, first full year of teaching. Two, I'd got a number of life things going on. So my mum. For people that don't know me so well, my mum was diagnosed with schizophrenia when I was a child. In and out of the care system, but I became her full carer or her next of kin at aged 18, uh, and had been mm. dealing with that through university and mm. all that that entailed. And I was running the youth at church, so I was just juggling a number of balls and teaching pressure. I think just cracked me. So That's the first time. Age twenty three.
1: Did you have the language for it?
0: Not at all. No. I just thought, oh my goodness, Daniel, you are not coping. It's not good enough. So that's the hole that I was in at that point.
1: It was like your own fault. It was, was the framing
0: you had. I totally you weren't actually, coping. Yeah, and as as you've asked me this question, I've never really realised that before. I get a, around schizophrenia. People are often diagnosed in their early twenties, so I think somewhere in a scared part of me, I was also thinking, "Are you developing schizophrenia? Are you going to oh, end wow. up in the hospital next to your mum?" I've never connected that before. So oh. those two things were going on.
1: I mean, there's so much going on on there as well, and and. So you're feeling overwhelmed. You don't have a label Mm. for it. Like, What what did you do? How did you cope?
0: I unraveled. I unraveled Mm. over a period of time. I think the penny drop moment for me is when I came to, that's what it felt like, shouting at a a lineup of kids. So I was known for being quite a happy-go-lucky teacher. We were taught at university to never raise your voice with kids, actually, that there were so many other ways of getting kids on side and I was lucky that like those ways worked for me it was one of my favorite classes so we never fell out they always complied I always made it fun for them but I came to and it was just like 30 scared faces just looking back at me lined up against the back of this netball court I'll never forget it and I was just ranting I can't even remember what about and these poor little faces poor little things were trying desperately to make me happy. Uh, and mm. I just thought, oh my goodness, no, this is wrong. This is not me. I don't do this. And these kids don't deserve it. How I wasn't fired on the spot, I don't know. So I think that was my realization point. And I went away and tried to put some th- pieces together in my mind. I realized, oh, there have been other things going on that you've not acknowledged and you've been unwilling to accept like dreading getting up and coming to school, crying, I'd be sobbing in the store cupboard before lessons or after lessons, trying to hold it together in between. I I think I can safely say now I was depressed or on my way into a deep depression. It's just those feelings of feeling out of control, of terror, of feeling incompetent, of feeling that I, I didn't belong and this calling that I'd long held wasn't for me. Mm. And feeling very isolated in it, actually, very alone.
1: I'm really sorry I had to go through that. And it, it completely resonates with my experiences as well of mm. that burnout. It feels so, it's so internalized. It's so almost mm. oh, shocking to find yourself. That's what I'm hearing you as well, like crying in the cupboard, wondering how you're going to make it through the day. Um, yeah. I'm sure there are people listening who can, who can resonate with that. How did you make your way out of that? at the time how did you recover from that
0: I knew that I wasn't right and so I went to ask for time off from first of all my line manager who was quite a new line manager at the time uh, and, and she didn't feel equipped to rubber stamp that really so I then went to my head teacher who gave me an sort of all or nothing I was just saying if I could just come part-time even just take give me a few weeks Mm. to be part-time but sick leave I think I'll be okay and she basically said no we could make you part-time but then you'd lose your salary essentially and that just wasn't an option for me I I didn't have a fallback plan I didn't have parents that could bail me out I was very lucky that I had a couple that mentored me at church and she was a GP so I, I went to talk to her and just ended up sobbing on her dining table. And she was the first person that used the word depression and talked mm. about maybe I could go on antidepressants. she gave me a whole waft of things that I couldn't could consider. But the antidepressants literally had me wailing, again, because I was caring for a, a parent that was on all sorts of medication. And my thoughts, which weren't right now, I see, but my thoughts at the time were, I'm seeing what it's doing to her, not really fully understanding the blend of medication. I don't think I can afford to have two of us on this. One of us has got to fully function, mm. so it needs to be me. And so I just hunker down, actually, and I'm like, right, you've got to sort this out. I'd never recommend this to anyone, but I gave myself a lot of tough talks. Uh, it makes me feel quite emotional thinking about it, actually, mm. because it wasn't really what I needed. But no. I, I talked myself out of that spiral. I mm. also, my line manager was into alternative health practices, and I'd never really dabbled in that. But she had me over to her house. She did some Reiki treatment on me, which completely freaked me out, but was interesting, mm. She introduced me to crystals again, completely freaked me out. Just didn't fit into my religious narrative. Mm. But the biggest thing she did was the thing that I felt most impacted by was blend some flower remedies for me, some herbal remedies. And so I took some of those each day, would give myself this big pep talk. And then I told myself I need out of all of that. I can't figure out how to stop all of these or make any of these scenarios better. I can't say no to teaching. I need the money. I can't just switch my mum off. She needs me there. I can't stop leading youth working at church. So this is how messed up my head was. I'm just going to create a legitimate reason why I can exit stage left. And I decided it was going to be career development and that I would get a job abroad. No one could argue with that, but it would give me time out. And so I literally set this campaign of Project Africa and gave myself 18 months to find a job somewhere, anywhere in Africa. And that kind of kept me sane every day. I pinned a map up next to my head. As soon as I woke up, I put pin dots in it every morning, almost meditating on a map. And within 18 months, I was gone. So not ideal. It papered over the cracks, but it gave me two years, essentially, to recover.
1: I mean, you didn't have the support. I mean, That's what I'm hearing in that story. No. Like people didn't The people around you didn't have the language. They didn't have the willingness to give you the space that you needed. Didn't know how to guide you or anything.
0: No. Mm. Uh, And we're talking, gosh, 25 years ago or so, Mm. so it really wasn't sexy to be talking about breakdowns and work stress and burnout. Burnout was for losers, right?
1: Yeah, (laughs) I'm not sure it's changed a whole lot either. Mm. Uh,
0: Your headmistress's
1: response of, no, you can't have any time off. It's not the first time I've heard Mm. line managers just completely incapable of understanding or having an empathy for that when you say that was 25 years ago you've had another experience of burnout
0: since then yes so this is prior to my 40th birthday so we're talking just under 10 years ago now so with the onset of taking on a business this business so I I fell into this big business accidentally I'd had a big life change where I'd sold up my home I was all set to be a missionary in India campaigning against human trafficking. So I was immersed in that world where I was seeing really heart-wrenching images and narratives day in, day out, feeling very helpless. I was teaching a group of people to, we we were mapping an area around brothels and indicators of trafficking. So making real life calls, posing as punters. Again, just disembodied calls to another woman on the end of the phone and going to bed feeling really helpless about Abandoning these women to, mm-hmm. in the sake of reser- for the sake of research, which would then enable us to present a petition to local policymakers and police to go in and investigate, but leaving them until that point. Yeah so just having all of that going on and then my parents my birth parents dying in quick succession of each other within 10 months and just feeling overwhelmed I, I was back coaching at school I'd got this business growing that wasn't supposed to be growing it was just supposed to be paying my bills and all these stories that I was hearing and I remember again just sitting on a, one of my desks and just wailing seems to be a thing when I figured out, oh my goodness, okay, <laughs> something's broken because I'm not a big crier. So mm. uh, uncontrolled crying is probably, it should a sign be the first sign, but it's typically the last sign and a lot has gone on before mm-hmm. I get to that point. Yeah. yeah. I-, I think because i got the framework from before, I could label it a lot more quickly. And I, instead of asking for time off, I demanded time off this time. I took a month off from the charity. Fortunately, that coincided with the summer holiday at school. And I just recruited some admin team and I just pushed more hours onto them and lent in, lean into that. But I sought medical intervention a lot more quickly Mm. then and just hunkered down in my cave, really. Still trying to self-sort, but coming out of things a bit more quickly.
1: And so, the signs that you're starting to see in the second round is wailing, as you call it, is the sort of the final <laughs> sign. Hmm. And if you, you know, with some hindsight, if you look back, like, were there other were warning signs of red flags that you're yes. seeing? Yes.
0: So, it's, it's the same. And, and interestingly, when you and I connected a few years ago, I was on the up <laughs> towards that. Mm-hmm. So, it's extreme tiredness, like bone deep mm-hmm. tiredness for me. A foggy brain, so I, I'm a problem solver uh, that excites me, it gets me out of bed. but when problems just seem to overwhelm me and I, you know, I'm starting to get irritated about people and their problems, and I can't solve my own problems. When I lose passion for what I'm doing, and it becomes like a heavy a mill around my neck, that sort of feeling, when I dread getting up every morning and the day ahead of me just seems long and heavy and complicated. When I distance myself from people, so I'm, I'm quite sociable when people start to tire me out and I'm craving alone time all over the place. And when I'm tearful, yeah, that's probably the most painful one for me. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's interesting listening to, I mean, I've been diagnosed with depression myself and been mm. on meds and, and the mm. the list I'm all of a sudden really struck in this conversation how similar they are to mm. what you're listing with burnout and what I know about burnout too. We're not medical professions, we're not saying anything. I'm just sort a, of it's a, just a noticing just the overlap. And so not surprised when in your first burnout how people were suggesting that it might have been depression. Mm. Maybe it was. right? Maybe there's a maybe there are cousins. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The burnout for me has been like a loss of joy. Mm. The things, the things that I have enjoyed doing, all of a sudden have no joy at all to them, which is also a symptom of depression. So yeah, I can and I can relate to the others: the the lack of energy, the lack of empathy, the shortness, Ooh. yes, <laughs> the shortness of that I have with people that I normally have a lot of time for. Mm. I'm biting people's heads off, mm. and you're like, "Wow, what's that about?" You're also pointing out the link to relationships, right? Like our burnout feels like such a solitary experience, but it is, it's affecting our work. It affects our relationships. They could be contributing factors and supporting factors, depending on the kind of relationship work or who the boss is or how people around you are understanding you or not understanding your experience. I mean, your experiences are the sort of social justice work that you were doing. I mean, that is exhausting. I've heard people say that if you do the work that you're passionate about, that, then you don't get burnout like that in itself is fulfilling. But I think there's this, and you have this wonderful example of there are, there's certain type of social justice work that I think by the very nature
0: will have you on the burnout path. I think teaching is on there as well. I'd agree. I'd Mm. agree. And I, I I think it's I think that's a really complex thing because we are, we're, we're taught in the world of business, aren't we? That if we follow our passion, follow our joy, we'll never regret turning up to work. It will be an absolute walk in the park. But even now with the anti-trafficking stuff, that's eight years later, I still can't see the words human trafficking without wanting to curl into a fetal ball. Mm -hmm. If it comes on the news, I have to switch it off. If it's a film, like a made up film, I have to switch it off. So I, I think that we're not careful enough with people that are working in industries where perhaps there's secondary trauma involved where you're having to immerse yourself in things that you're definitely passionate about, but maybe you're powerless to change or powerless mm. to change overnight. Even my cleaning business, I love it and I hate it every single day. And again, it's because oh, I, I, I think if I could give it up tomorrow, I would, except that there's a purpose behind it. And so until I can see that purpose being fulfilled, I don't feel allowed to walk away from it. And there's something in that that can create that heavy burden, that, that onerous path towards burnout as well, unless I have checks and balances in place. I
1: think there's a, there's a link between, you said earlier, like being a high achiever. Mm-hmm. For me, a lot of my self-worth comes in the work that I do yeah. and, those are all contributing factors to variables in place that can set you on the path to burnout. Doesn't mean you're going to guarantee, but they are contributing factors. Let's put it that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think perfectionism is probably another one. I
0: was about to add that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> High achievers <laughs> and perfectionism, I, I think, are vulnerable. Do you consider yourself a perfectionist? I used to be. <laughs> I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> I've really had to adopt the mantra that good enough is good enough. I, I battle with that some days, but having hit that low now twice in my life, I just can't afford to be all out. So I choose my battles. There are some things that I will go hell for leather on and make as perfect as I can. But there are not many things because again, I've recognized that my good enough is probably somebody else's perfect and and i have to be okay with that and then i try and take time regularly to zoom out look at the big picture look at the horizon mm-hmm. again get everything weighed up i think it's why i've become such a big planner because in planning i when you start to write things down and put them into a framework you realize time is a finite thing <laughs> and you are a finite being so there's only so much you can manage Choose your battle, Daniel. Like what, what are you gonna go for today?
1: Mm. And th- I mean that brings in the, the thread into this conversation about who you are and how you show up in the world. It's talk about systems of oppression. You are a black woman in, in the UK, and that has to play into
0: what it's like to show up and what what is good enough. Earlier on in my career, again, when I was totally unaware of <laughs> all of these things, as a teacher, as a netball player having gone through the private school system bizarrely as a child in care, I was the only or the first. I remember my first three schools, actually, uh, as I crossed the threshold, every black child in that school, by the time I came round in a loop, was either hanging out a window, hanging over the stairwell or following me because they would just never seen somebody that looked like them as their role model. So you'd have the pressure of representing Mm. those young minds and showing up properly for them. Mm. I had the pressure of knowing, oh my goodness, I'm the first across this threshold. I've got to bring my A game so that remembering that I'm waving the banner for anyone that comes after me that's a black woman. And then just the pressure of standing out. So no matter what you did, even just standing still, you stand out, right? So having to be perfect all the time, because anything that you do shows up or stands out. So again, not being allowed to be average because average stands out. Not certainly not being allowed to be poor because that then it you know, brings a narrative of, well gosh, is that what every black person's going to be like? So real heavy pressures. I would say it's better now, still not perfect. I'm still pleasantly surprised when I arrive in certain rooms and see another not even a black man another black woman there something in me goes oh thank goodness um oh, not <laughs> i'm not the only i'm not the only one it's yeah. not all on me yeah yeah i can fidget just a little bit more in this meeting because they're not all going to be watching me
1: yeah and you talked about being sort of shinier and better and triple a star game to to not attract the judgment the criticism what mm. the whatever i kind of want to highlight that and the conversation for everyone who's listening, just how the emotional toll of living like that and, and how that's another factor and
0: that can contribute to burnout. I, I would say yeah. it definitely did as a 20-year-old. Mm. In the school system. In the school system. And, and the teacher. Yeah. Mm. I, I, again, I just had no narrative for it. And I guess for my non-black colleagues and friends or anybody listening to this, The best thing I can liken it to is when you go abroad to a country where you are the minority and you have people on the streets hailing you down, cars driving by, honking at you, people following you. It's a novelty when you're on holiday. But also, especially if you're white, it's a positive thing. Nobody is there thinking that you're going to come and rob, rape or pillage them. Mm -hmm. So, So to have that every single day, and I'm not saying people are saying that of me, but just that being the novelty in every scenario every single day everywhere you go it's a latent pressure that adds up over time
1: even if you're not conscious of it totally. all the time because it becomes such an internalized normal yes for you. I mean that is your that's your normal yeah I remember uh, traveling to India mm-hmm. some years ago on, on business and walking down the streets and I just had it was mostly women and children literally touching me yeah. the whole time And touching my blonde hair it's like what is this blonde hair that this woman has you know and this i understand that people seem to like to do that with black women as well Mm -hmm. as i pull my face in horror Mm -hmm. it's dehumanizing to be poured and objectified in that kind of way yes if there's a fetishizing in that you're just foreign object and how fascinating
0: you are yes but it's of course, in the work environment it's a lot more polite so no one is physically touching or pouring you no but it's happening right <laughs> you are yes. fetishized and objectified yes. and oh what would you think antoinette i don't know i was busy tidying up my bathroom in my head as i was sat in the back row of this meeting oh i'm on <laughs> right <laughs> okay so <laughs> can't drop this one uh, yes mm. <laughs>
1: Burnout is a tough place to be in, and if listening to this you've become more aware of what you're experiencing and a bit concerned about your own mental health, please get advice from a healthcare professional. None of our conversation today can replace the support that you can get and that you deserve from someone in the medical profession. Come back next week where we're going to pick up on the third experience that she had in burnout and really then explore more about the path to recovery that Antoinette has found And her experiences and and all her wisdom that she shares with us about what to do when you find yourself in places that she has found herself so thank you for listening the fact that you're here means everything to me thank you this is your wing woman signing off